Hello, I'm Sasha O'Connell, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to Mission Is Possible, a series of audio episodes where we will break down and dig into the management issues of particular relevance to the national security community. This is a joint project between Guidehouse, where I'm a director in the national security practice, and the School of Public Affairs at American University. We're pleased to have you join us. In this episode, we're going to talk about the critically important topic of the role of CFOs in the national security sector. As you will hear, we hosted a live discussion on this topic at American University, where leaders from the FBI, CBP, and ODNI engaged with the audience on these important issues. Following the discussion, I had the opportunity to sit down with the panelists, and the content from those discussions is captured here as well. To kick off the conversation, we hear from Ruba Elbasha, who is a director at Guidehouse and who served as a moderator for this session. Ruba, can you start off by introducing yourself to our audience? My name is Ruba Elbasha. I am a director at Guidehouse in our national security segment. Perfect. So fun to have you. Thank you so much for moderating today, Ruba. That was awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. If you could, for our listeners, I'm just curious, your perspective, you work so much in this space across agencies. What what did you learn today? What were your kind of big takeaways from hearing these folks on the panel respond to questions and also obviously the preset questions we had for them? Sure. I think like you mentioned, stakeholder engagement and communication were big takeaways for me. But I think what really stood out to me was the discussion around data, the importance that the CFOs recognized of the use of data, and the use of leveraging that data and sharing it and communicating it across the agency. I think it was really interesting for me to see the maturity level that these agencies had in the understanding of the importance of that data and the use of it. In your experience doing this kind of work with departments and agencies, is it a cultural issue? Is it a technical issue with data? Do they not have the right data? Is it that folks don't want to look at the data? Kind of what's your experience in this area of finance? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it's a mix of things. I think, you know, one of the audience members asked a question about training around data and the use of that data of the workforce. I think that's a component of it. Do you have the resources that aren't just the accountants and budgeteers, but the people that know how to manipulate data and leverage it and communicate it. I think that's part of it. I also think data quality is another barrier. Identifying the data sources, can you rely on them? And then how do you use it and harness that data in a way so that it becomes information that's useful? Thank you, Ruba, for moderating the panel today. We hope to have you on the show again in the future. Now I want to transition and talk about the unique role of CFOs in the national security space. Trey, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Trey Treadwell, um, Assistant Director of National Intelligence and the Intelligence Community Chief Financial Officer operating out of Office of Director of National Intelligence. Perfect. Thank you so much. It was great to have you on the panel today. Thank you, Sasha. I was wondering before we start, one thing we talked a bit about on the panel, I was hoping you could talk for our listeners a little bit more about is how is your role as CFO of the DNI, how is it different and unique in that role in the national security sector? Well, in a couple of different ways. So I'm actually the intelligence community CFO, which is really focused more upon informing the DNI on the budgetary decisions he has to make with regards to the national intelligence program overall, which encompasses 17 different elements of the intelligence community, many of those within the Department of Defense, CIA and ODNI actually being 
independent agencies or independent elements, and then a number of the other ones within other departments such as DHS, Department of Justice as well. So we put together the budget overall for the intelligence community as a whole for the National Intelligence Program piece of it, but we don't do the reporting and financial statements for those. They are either reported independently in cases of DNI and CIA or through parent departments and elements such as DHS or even the DOD elements report up through Department of Defense. Thank you, Trey. Sam, can you introduce yourself to our audience today? You bet. My name is Sam Grable, and I'm the Chief Financial Officer at U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was awesome to have you on the panel. It's my privilege. So one question I know that our listeners would be really interested in is, is how is your job as CFO at CBP, how is that different to be a CFO in the national security sector? What does that really mean, and what's your life like? How is that different? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think there are probably several things that come to mind. One is just by nature, right, national security, there's a it's sort of a sobering thing because you recognize that what we do, the, the dollars and cents of it actually drive a law enforcement mission. And with all of the kinds of risks and potential tragedies and successes that come from that. So U.S. Customs and Border Protection is a 60,000-strong workforce with probably in the order of 50,000 or so are badge-carrying law enforcement professionals. And so in that realm, for me, it's recognizing that what we do has a direct influence on that important mission. The other thing that I think is maybe not unique to national security, but unique to the federal government, is the role of the legislative and executive branch, right? And they're not always going to see eye to eye. And so as a practitioner of financial management in the federal workspace, it's appreciating that there are going to be differences of opinion. And as I'll talk to the folks in my organization, even when things are sort of buffeting around us, uh, which happens from time to time, is recognizing, as my great-granddad would put it, you just kind of keep peddling. Keep doing what we're here to do as part of the federal workforce, uh, ensure that we're delivering the mission for the men and women of the United States and recognizing that each of the dollars are not our dollars to spend, if you will, but that they're the taxpayer's money, and that's my money and your money and the, the listener's money and my parents' money and, and little old Belfair, Washington, recognizing that every dollar that we spend is money that, that individual taxpayers have contributed, and we have to spend it wisely. Sam, thank you so much for your thoughts. Lastly, Jeff, could you please introduce yourself to the audience? My name is Jeff Salette, and I am the Chief Financial Officer for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Awesome. Thank you so much for sitting down with us, for spending time with us on the panel um, and joining us for the podcast as well. I know our listeners will be thrilled to hear from you. I wanted to just follow up and have you reiterate some of the things you talked a little bit about on the panel, specifically around how is it different to be a CFO in the national security sector versus somewhere else in government, do you think? Is it a different kind of job and in what way? I've only been a national security CFO and I've been an FBI special agent for 23 years. And every job in the financial services industry or throughout being a CFO would be different. The national security is to me, and part of the reason I became an FBI special agent, it's the mission. So the FBI is in my estimation, the world's greatest law enforcement and intelligence agency. So we are both a forward-leaning, so an intelligence-based, threat-driven mm -hmm. organization. 
And everything that we do, the money that we have here is about keeping America safe, whatever that way, shape or form is. So, for example, when we are getting a budget enhancement, our budget enhancements are all about how do we evolve with the threats, make sure that we are ahead of the threats and keeping this country safe from terrorists, from spies, from criminals, whatever those folks are. So it's translating all different types of processes into really what matters, which is keeping people safe. Now I want to talk with all of you about how you manage stakeholder engagement in your roles. Trey, another thing we talked about on the panel was this idea of engagement with stakeholders in the kind of role you have and the kind of communication that goes with that. I thought you made such an interesting point around when folks around the table with stakeholders start with the same assumptions and have access to the same information, decisions tend to get better. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that and the efforts you're making to make that happen? Absolutely. What I mentioned on the panel was largely focused upon how we have positive engagements with our stakeholders. And as the intelligence community CFO, my stakeholders tend to be other agency CFOs, so CIA, NSA, DIA, NRO, et cetera, as well as constituencies with congressional staff. And then obviously the intelligence community leadership being the deputies committee, we call the DEXCOM or the directors and executive committee being the directors of all the agencies under the leadership of the DNI. And what I found is that oftentimes we are all operating and from a different set of assumptions and perspective and vantage point from where we sit. The statement or the phrase is where you stand depends upon where you sit. And what I've found is that it's, it's much easier to have those differences of opinion and be very objective as you try to be clear in email and and textual communications versus sitting across the table and really trying to understand somebody. And so as we look at information in a data sheet or a spreadsheet or communication that occurs very much on a computer screen versus sitting down and having a conversation with somebody, you tend to find out what is really driving them towards their decision and what assumptions they're making. And the result of that is you start to see each other from the other's perspective and the result ends up being that we're able to come to a common set of assumptions and identify where we actually disagree and look for the data that actually supports alternative viewpoints based upon where we disagree and maybe come to a new set of assumptions or a new set of facts that support a common set of assumptions. And from those common sets, we are largely dealing with reasonable and rational people. There are exceptions to that, obviously. But for the most part, we come to a similar conclusion based upon that. Now, it doesn't always mean that our priorities are exactly aligned, but if we can at least agree on where we disagree, we know what challenges we have to overcome to get to a a closure position, or we can agree on, hey, we're just going to disagree on this, and the decision is somebody else's that we have to come to. Thanks for your thoughts. Sam, can you share with us your thoughts on stakeholder engagement? made some really interesting points on the panel about how you sort of frame engagement with stakeholders and communication with stakeholders to the folks who support you and work with you on your team. Can you talk a little bit more about your thoughts on that? Certainly. So for me, operations, from my history in the Air Force as well as history at CBP, operations, that's really the raison d'etre. That's why we exist, right, is to do this law enforcement mission. And that includes uh, ensuring that we don't, that we keep bad actors out of the United States, and that ensures that we support and facilitate legitimate trade and travel. That's operations. And so as a CFO, it's important to make sure that I understand what operators need and that the organization that I have the good fortune of leading 
fully understands that as well. So from at every level of the organization, it's valuable to communicate with our counterparts. So, for example, immediately when I came on board just a couple of years ago, I, I made appointments with the chief of the Border Patrol and the executive assistant commissioner for field operations and air marine operations because I wanted them to know, one, that I'm mission-focused and we're going to work hard to ensure that every dollar gets spent the way it needs to get spent in CBP to improve the mission, and also to make sure that I started to develop an appreciation for the CBP mission. Now, as a, as a relative newbie, I don't understand all the ins and outs. And, and so it was important for me to travel to places like Memphis and New York and Detroit and, and the Southwest border to better understand what the rank and file agent or officer deal with each and every day. Because in so doing, I better understand it can help the organization make the right choices for operations. And I think that's also important not only for a CFO, right? It's important for everybody at all levels in a financial organization, I guess I would say in a support organization, to make sure we understand what the mission is so we can put every dollar toward that mission. And do you see that as a customer service role, a partnership role? Kind of how do you frame that? Well, very clearly for me, I mean, there's maybe a nuanced conversation between customer service and being a trusted partner, but I think it's an important nuance. I liken it to, and I was never in the Navy, my father was, but I liken it to an aircraft carrier. An aircraft carrier, you've got, right, what's the mission of aircraft carrier? Well, it's got, it's basically supporting the air wing on an aircraft carrier, but you've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 individuals who are on that aircraft carrier performing an important mission, whether it's propulsion for the carrier, whether it's logistics for the aircraft, whether it's feeding feeding the, the sailors, whether it's providing dental care, whatever it may be. And each individual on that aircraft carrier is a trusted partner that's important to the mission. When we talk about customer service, I get it, but I look at customer service as being something where I am providing a service and maybe you want it faster, better, cheaper, but it's an impersonal kind of delivery as opposed to being a trusted partner where you are seen as an important part of the team. And I don't think that comes natural, right? It takes some training to be able for support people to feel that they're trusted partners. It also takes an appreciation and understanding on the part of the operators so they understand what support people can bring them. Because it's not always about delivering exactly what an operator wants exactly when they need it. Sometimes there are legal reasons why that can't happen. But it is finding solutions to operators' problems. And if that's the way that it's couched when an operator brings an issue and asks for support, then we almost always can find a solution that works. Thank you, Sam. Jeff, do you want to share your perspective on what stakeholder engagement looks like for you at the FBI? Well, All of our stakeholders as FBI employees is the American public, for starters. So me, as a CFO, what's most important is that I am overseeing a almost $10 billion budget, making sure that we are doing that with incredible focus on responsibility for that money we have. So we have been very honored and blessed by the American public and our Congress to have had our budget increasing repeatedly post 9-11. And with that increase comes an increased responsibility to be good stewards of the government's money. So the first stakeholders are the taxpayers and the American public. Then to me, as a CFO, my job is to make sure that I'm educating the entire FBI executive group to be 
have positive business acumen and to be good stewards of that money and to make sure that we are matching the money that we get with the threats that this country is facing. So as we evolve, it is critical that we are making sure that our money is put based on threats. So for example, if the director's number one priority or our number one priority is keeping America safe from terrorist attack, we need to make sure we have the proper resource allocated to keeping America safe from terrorist attacks. If I had, and I give you an example, $100,000, and we needed to surge to our cyber threat, which is a critical threat right now, our national security threats, be it counterterrorism or counterintelligence, or a lower tier criminal threat, well, right now, we have to surge that $100,000 towards the priority threat. So the stakeholders are going to be, again, and come back to the American public, but the threats and what we are doing. Also, as a CFO, I have regular engagement with the deputy director, the associate deputy director, and Director Ray. And it's my job to give Director Ray and Deputy Director Bowditch and ADD Abate the best advice I can when it comes to the money we have and lining it up against the priorities. What I can say, the FBI is ahead of the curve on most, if not almost all, intelligence and law enforcement agencies with our processes. So this organization has what we call the threat resource prioritization process, where we rack and stack our threats, what's important, and then we measure against those threats and how we are doing. This year, or we just executed, which was approximately a two-year study, our FOSS, which was related to our staffing in our field offices. So we have a fixed number of human beings. We have only had small special agent enhancements in the last five years. We've also had a substantial increase in mass acts of violence and other threats. How do we face those threats? We take a real careful analytical look at where our bodies are and how we at least cover the baseline of those threats. So it's called the field office staffing study. It's so interesting. It sounds like having those tools is incredibly important for that stakeholder engagement, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, and based on, you know, part of the reason I'm here is based on my experiences as a field agent. Mm -hmm. So I have, in my 23 years in the FBI, the vast majority of those have been in field operations. So it's taking my business acumen and translating that business acumen towards the threats and towards what we do as an organization. So it gives me a very unique perspective because I have the business acumen and I've done the job. Thank you to all of our participants today. In closing, is there anything else you all want to share with our listening audience or anything you think is important that you haven't said yet? Trey, how about you go first? I think as we move, especially within the federal government, into the domain that we're operating in, combination of transparency as well as making informed decisions based upon improved data, that the type of people that we're looking to bring on need to be more comfortable in operating with data versus the subjective approach that we've had in the past. And I won't say it's been completely subjective. We have used data and we have informed ourselves in the past with data, but I don't think it's a type of data that moves at the speed that we need it to, to inform our decisions on the speed that we need to. So I continue to believe that the ability to manage resources within the federal government is one of the most effective ways to have a positive influence on how we achieve our missions across the whole. And if you know how to do that, you can have a very positive effect on on mission outcome and achieving strategic objectives. So it's, it's incredibly humbling to have the opportunity, incredibly exciting to be able to do what we do. 
And I'm looking forward to the next several years and continuing to li- and hopefully living the place in a better place than I found it. Awesome. Thank you. And for those inspired by your remarks, you are hiring in your office now? Um, we are hiring uh, <laughs> a certain amount. We are uh, trying to balance the sort of work that we've gotten as we move into these different environments. I've actually held off on some specific hiring and I've got vacancies right now waiting to identify exactly how we want to fill those and what we need to fill those with. Thanks so much, Trey. It was a pleasure having you on the show today and we hope to have you back in the future. Sam, do you have anything else you'd like to add? First off, as a person who's been there for about two years, I can tell you that the mission is dynamic and interesting and challenging. And I came back to government service from the commercial sector because I was looking for professional fulfillment. If folks are looking for professional fulfillment, you need to find things that will professionally fulfill you. And government service is one way to do that. And the mission of CBP is extraordinarily interesting and challenging and dynamic and fun. So that's the first thing I would say is folks who are listening, if you know, there are opportunities at CBP, there's certainly opportunities in my office in the office of finance. I would also add, I have to, that it's important for people to be discerning and to be discerning. You know, we know that when it comes to CBP, there's a lot of things that have been out in the press and it's kind of a visceral response to this particular mission. People vehemently supportive and people violently opposed to what CBP does. I find that it's important for individuals to read broadly, to understand the world, to understand the law, to understand and appreciate that there are 60,000 individuals in CBP that are, are working to uphold the nation's laws. And if you start from that basis, whatever you may hear in the press, you can kind of sift it through and make sure that you are rational and reasoned about how you view things. But uh, it's a very dynamic and interesting place to work and certainly would encourage folks to look for opportunities there. Jeff, do you have any closing thoughts? You talked about kind of the skills and experience that have helped you do the job. What is the skills and experience you're looking for in folks that you hire or your division's looking to hire in? What, how do folks best prepare to support an organization like yours? Well, the keys that I look for in hiring people are lifelong learners. The people that say, I've got it, I don't need you to work for me. Because it doesn't matter whether you're 22 or you're 62, you can learn something. And I think it's really important that we have a workforce that is willing to learn, willing to be flexible, willing to adapt to the changes. So when I came to the FBI in 1997, our number one or one of our top threats was the LCN. That's not the number one threat anymore. And the threats that we have today are moving at such a fast pace that if our workforce is not willing to be lifelong learners, they're going to be left behind. So lifelong learners people that come to work with a positive attitude. So to me, positive energy leadership, heliotropic leadership is critically important. People that bring negative energy bring the workforce down. So if we have people that come in with a positive energy, a can-do attitude, those are people that I'm going to look to hire. It really is this whole idea of being collaborative. Mm -hmm. And I look back to an experience I had when I was a college student, and we had a professor that would assign a project, and he'd assign five people to the project, and you didn't get to choose the five people you worked with. And he would say, I want you to give me the project, and I don't want you to tell me who did work and who didn't do work. And I think it it was such a great learning experience for me because unfortunately, and fortunately, because I learned it, in the real world, that's sometimes what happens. But I want those folks that are ones that take that team, that lead that team by being a positive example, right? So you can be a leader, by being a follower sometimes and really making sure that that workforce that we have. And because we are the FBI, 
We draw an incredible talent pool. We are very blessed with the people that we get to choose from, and we do choose the best and the brightest here. I'm always in awe at our new employees, so I say to people that are in college, work hard, keep an open mind, be a lifelong learner, and be a leader. Thanks so much, Jeff. On that note, I'd like to thank all the panelists today for their time talking with us and sharing their thoughts and insights into this critically important topic of the role of CFOs in the national security sector. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Mission is Possible. To find more information on the GuideHouse American University Mission is Possible speaker series, please visit us at guidehouse.com.